0: Welcome to I Got Back Up, Getting Back Up With. I'm Talia Lazarus, your host, and in August 2021, my whole life changed. I was in a road accident, which led me to 10 weeks of no walking, knee surgery that September, and double knee surgery in February 2022. After learning how to walk again in my 20s, my journey took me on a physical, emotional, and mental roller coaster, and I was broken and lost in every way. But then I learned I had the ability to change my own life and write my own story. So think of a taboo subject that's not always spoken about. Here we confront it and run towards it head on. Rock bottom becomes a safe and comfortable place. Rising from the ashes, taking control of your life and showing up to your fears takes something extraordinary. The hardest step is the first one. But once you take it, you're already one step ahead of yesterday and one step closer to everything you have ever dreamt of. I don't want to be vulnerable. Words not in my vocabulary. Explains Lisa Hepner, director of The Human Trial, a movie driven by a desire to cure her own type 1 diabetes. Diabetes has been completely debilitating for Lisa, affecting her career trajectory, her personal life and family life, and how to survive every day, making 180 decisions from the moment she wakes up. How does Lisa live with type 1 diabetes? How did the idea of her own journey spark the creation of the film? Why is diabetes so debilitating? A question most of us don't understand, the answer to unless we either know someone or we have it ourselves. She persisted. Keep persisting. Making this film for a decade, parallel with having this disease, it was a test of resilience, of perseverance for Lisa. And yet, she persisted. So on today's episode, I'm with Lisa
1: Hepner. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm also very well. So where in the world are you? In LA, in Los Angeles
0: very nice very nice it's a beautiful place there so
1: I can't complain and this is the best time of year uh Isn't 70 it? degree oh yeah sunny and 70 that's what we say so 70 degrees fahrenheit um which is what 15 celsius yeah
0: something like something that.
1: like that I have to do that conversion better
0: <laughs> yeah off the top of my head I'm not sure but uh I'd have to sit and actually do the math <laughs> exactly Well, anyway, so today, obviously, we're here to talk about your story, um, obviously, your diagnosis um, many years ago, and now why and how this has led you to create the film, The Human Trial, well, the director of it. So the floor is over to you, and you can start wherever you'd like.
1: Yes, again, thanks for having me on your show, Talia. So the story is that um, my trajectory really started as a young adult when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 1991. I was 21 years old, uh, living in Scotland. I was going to the University of Edinburgh, so in your neck of the woods. <laughs> and uh, when I was diagnosed, it's no exaggeration to say that my ignorance about the disease was complete. I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. So I was very shocked that um, upon my you know, diagnosis, my doctor said, he checked my feet and I said, What are you doing? And he said, Oh, amputation is, uh, sorry, diabetes is the leading cause of amputation in Britain. So I was like, Oh, welcome. I was like, Welcome to this club. I didn't want to be a member of and took my first uh, shot of insulin within, you know, 10 minutes of my diagnosis. And um, I didn't understand what the long term complications would be or what the short term complications of taking insulin would be. Um, and I'm a pretty positive person and athletic. And so I was like, I got this, you know, but Mm -hmm. I didn't have it. I didn't have it at all. I, um, I was, like I said, in denial, you know, staying out all night, just always doing my work, you know, but just in denial of the changes that I needed to make for living on insulin. So, um, after that, and I joined um the u k Diabetes Association, mm-hmm. I guess the bDA as I said, I was trying to be like you know a type A diabetic, yeah. and there's no such thing. there is no such thing. no one is trained to think like a pancreas, no matter what an endocrinologist will tell you or the adverts on t v no one can be an art can be an artificial pancreas, mm-hmm. and nor can devices make you that thinking organ. It's just not possible. So I, I did my thing. I was kind of like, rah, rah, I got this still in denial. I moved to New York, New York City. And because I wanted to expand my horizons. I'm from Ottawa, Canada, yeah. but I didn't want to move home after I graduated from college from the University of Toronto. Went to New York, didn't know anybody and just basically focused on my producing career. Mm-hmm. Um, diabetes took a bit of a back seat. It sounds like it was never in the front seat at this point, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I worked as, um, a producer. I worked my way up to be a producer and I traveled mm-hmm. the world, um, producing shows for, for a myriad of different organizations like, uh, PBS, public broadcasting systems, CBC, Sony Pictures Classics it was really interesting. I have to say yeah. that was my 20s. Like, I think <laughs> that New York is kind of the best place to be in your 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I love the anonymity of the city and I, I, I loved the history, um, which was great. I still kept up with my doctor's appointments and mm-hmm. I became very close to my endocrinologist, Dr. Andy Drexler and his medical team. So in parallel to my, um, hectic lifestyle of being a producer in New York, right? Which is just those two words mean <laughs> you, work, you work a lot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, um,
1: I credit Dr. Drexler, Andy Drexler and Carolyn Robertson with keeping me going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was an, there was a time when I was in Costa Rica and I was shooting a surf video, directing a surf video. And my sugars were out of control. So in Britain, actually in most of the world, you use millimoles per, I don't know, deciliter is it? Anyway, my sugar was like 350 and a normal re- in my, in my, um, in the American standard and the average should be between 70 and 100. So okay. if I was that high, I was really not doing well. And I didn't really, and I I just directed, I just kept going, but I felt horrible. And I wasn't thinking properly. And I learned that in the hot weather, um, the insulin expires, it actually cooks, it's a protein, it cooks like an egg. Okay. So So I was injecting insulin that didn't work. I didn't know that. And I didn't want to tell anyone on set, because I was the director. I didn't want to be fallible. I didn't want to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. fragile. Those words were not in my vocabulary, fragile, Mm -hmm. you know, just it's, it's a competitive industry. And, you know, I like to think I'm a tough person, but I was, I wasn't doing what I should be doing and I needed to, you know, accept it and accept diabetes and type one, especially as a disability. And I'm fine (laughs) about saying that. And in fact, I remember the first month after my diagnosis in Edinburgh, I went to London and I, of course, had, you know, went to Harrods and had tea or whatever. <laughs> and I was with a good friend of mine and I said, and she'd had it for 20 years. And she said to me, I said, how is it? And she said, you know, um, it's debilitating. And at that point in time, I'd only had it a few months and I was like what do you mean this is amazing i got this. Yeah. And um she was right. So fast forward back to New York. Fast forward to the career that i was doing and i eventually started working for hollywood directors who mm-hmm. were as i call it slumming it in documentaries. And that's <laughs> not fair. That's not fair. They were they were good people and they just they, they were passionate about telling yeah. all people's stories unscripted and scripted. So I worked with uh, Jonathan Demi, a director mm-hmm. who's no longer with us. And um, you might know him from Silence of the Lambs or Philadelphia. He does a lot of music docs. He did. So I, I worked with him and it was so intense. It was so intense. I called it being a part of the mafia. Like <laughs> when you join him, he's like Tony Soprano, right? And It's like <laughs> your life is his life. And so I blew off all my doctor's appointments Yeah, because I was like, I need to make this documentary and produce it for him um so then you know it it went well my year with him and then he offered me a a job producing on a film called Rachel Getting Married and I said no and no one says no to Jonathan but I said no Mm -hmm. because my health I knew I had to take care of it Mm -hmm. and I also I wanted to settle down I was in my early 30s mid-30s and I was like if I'm gonna have a child uh, I need to say no because Lisa's yeah. never gonna get married. Rachel will get married <laughs> in the film. Yeah. Me, I'll never get married. Um so I, I said no. And that really was a turn in my career because I could have, you know, gone up, if you will, yeah. and worked worked for other, you know, big name directors, but I didn't. And then I met, then I met my husband. And uh, we got a dog, Witness <laughs> the dog who's omnipresent and takes and wants a lot of attention, Raffi. Um, and then uh, we then moved to LA. And because of my new commitment to my health and to wanting to have a child, which is challenging when you have a metabolic disorder like mm-hmm. type one, I started a company with my husband so I could be in charge of my own hours. So I could go to the gazillion doctor's appointments I had to go to yeah. to try to get pregnant. In the end, I didn't get pregnant, but I still have a child. And he's a beautiful son. His name is Jack, and he's now eight. Um, so you see, the, my diagnosis with this disease that <clears throat> is invisible and often people don't take seriously yeah. has fully impacted who I am. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Who I am professionally, who I am as a mom who I am as a wife, a friend, a colleague, it's incredibly impactful. Um, I could go on, but, you know, I could just keep going with my story if you want. No, please do. Um, yeah. So I have this wonderful child, biologically not my connection. Mm-hmm. I know he won't get my disease. That actually makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So that's a relief. Um, what led us to making the film, The Human Trial? So mm-hmm. because this disease is always in your face, like right now, like even before the podcast, I was yeah. like, I think I'm having a low blood sugar. My neighbors were like, Lisa, you look really pale. I was like, yeah, I'm popping you. sugar before I talk to you in London. So we know it's omnipresent. My, um, my husband had, his name is Guy Mossman. And he's a filmmaker. And he'd seen me wake up in the morning, drenched in sweat, discombobulated and totally Mm -hmm. confused. And he was confused because he didn't really at that point know what diabetes was. Yeah. And so he convinced me to work on this film and to make this film, to create this film from literally nothing into what it is today. Mm -hmm. And the film, we looked for a story about diabetes that would be interesting. I didn't want to do a disease of the week. I I make a living from telling nonfiction stories. I didn't want to just say, okay, because I have this disease, this gives me a license to make a film. I was like, no, no, I need to make a good film. I want people outside of my community to watch it and to acknowledge that I know what I'm doing as a filmmaker. This is how I get paid for a living. So we found a story. I was um, influenced by this New Yorker magazine article I read. About this clinical trial in the type one diabetes space. Mm-hmm. And it was a breakthrough at the time. And, um, the story was a long story in the New Yorker and it was told in the past tense, right? The clinical trial was a success, but it was all told six years after the fact. So I, in a way, stupidly in parenthesis thought, Oh, let's tell this in real time. Let's <laughs> tell science in real time, which is kind of insane. In retrospect, (laughs) people, people don't do that, but I didn't know as usual, I didn't know the obstacles. So they didn't stop me. And I, we just did our research and started following this team of scientists who were rethinking how to cure diabetes. Mm -hmm. Now we started in 2011 following them. They never made it to the clinic. We filmed for two years. We went, followed them to Berlin. We did all this stuff, never made it. We, they never made it to the clinic. So we had to stop the filming and reboot everything. So we had to start from scratch. Yeah. So then we started filming with this new team in San Diego and unbeknownst to us, well, we've done some research, but they were on the cusp of going to the clinic. And we actually, the second day of filming, we captured them, getting the FDA approval for them to go to, um, to human trial, which Mm -hmm. was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. And, um, my goodness, making this film for a decade, can you imagine, imagine in parallel (laughs) with having this disease and having it be more complicated and being out in the field and getting up at three in the morning to film surgeries when it was minus 40 Fahrenheit Celsius. At that point, it's all the same. We are in Minnesota. Um, it was, it was a test of resilience. It was a test of perseverance. Mm-hmm. I got tattoos for the first time in my life. <laughs> at 46 years old, it's never too late. Look, she persisted. You see that?
0: Yeah, I can see. I love that.
1: She persisted. And that was before it was a coffee cup and a calendar. That was because of the wonderful person, um, Elizabeth Warren, in the Senate, who ran for president at one mm-hmm. point. Uh, she said that. And so I was... um Influenced and got my tattoo the next day. So it takes a lot steely will, a belief that um, it's possible with hard work and just stubbornness mm-hmm. and just a belief that you're making a difference. That makes, yeah. that's what impacts me mostly. Yeah. You know, and fear, <laughs> fear of not finishing a project. I'll be honest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We had investors yeah we had donors. We raised one point six million ourselves mm-hmm. through donations selling t shirts that's a lot of money, you know yeah. so yeah, huge odyssey,
0: <laughs> but that's the interesting thing about fear is obviously people don't wanna you know people are too scared to confront it. most you know a lot everyone in in any way, shape, or form are too scared when fear is on their doorstep to confront it. But fear, interestingly enough, is something that makes you persevere, makes you keep pushing forward, makes you take those bigger leaps, makes you, you know, take those steps in life, which is really interesting that fear can do that.
1: I agree. I think it's a fight or flight response. Yeah. <laughs> so fear is ingrained in us, right? Yeah. And and what happens when you see a grizzly bear, right? <laughs> you You fight it or you run in the opposite direction. But never climb a tree, as I was told. Um, <clears throat> so my upbringing, my innate, my nature is to fight. Mm-hmm. Fight the grizzly bear. And for better or for worse, you know. And I think it's how you manage the fear. Yeah. Because fear can also equal stress, which equals cortisol, which equals um, an inflammatory response, which equals, it can be, an autoimmune response that then makes you ill. So it's it's something that you need to manage. It can be an incredible motivator, no doubt, but it needs to be managed healthily.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree absolutely. And how were you then? How were you and yourself while you were on this film? Because obviously, you said how you were in the past, mm-hmm. working under other people. But now, obviously, it was your you know your film. You were the director. How were
1: you personally through it? Well, I had more control, right? I wasn't the producer, so I could uh, call my doctors whenever I needed to. Um, I could make all my doctor's appointments. I mean, I always had that power within me to make those appointments. Do you know what I'm saying? But I don't want to just put it on, oh, my God, my career is so important. No, I chose to put that first. As a director, I could still be, you know, in the midst and in the trenches, but I could also balance the management of this disease better. Yeah. And I was on a strict diet. I really only ate. I tried to be um, with no gluten. Mm -hmm. I'm not a celiac, but that just helped my sugars to be low carb. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I wore an insulin pump with a continuous glucose monitor, which beams my sugar to my watch. So I could really be on top of things. Plus, I was surrounded by people with diabetes. I was surrounded by the medical community, like the yeah. cutting edge, so you know, hey, I need sugar, oh, here, I have sugar for you because <laughs> I yeah, also yeah. have type one yeah so it was it was a nurturing environment, and then I was talking to researchers who were literally trying to cure the disease that you know I'm filming and talking about with their science it It was yeah, yeah, yeah. as you can see, there was a lot at stake,
0: yeah. yeah. No, I can, of course. So, what is there? Are there a few things, obviously, not to reveal all because people are going to watch the film. But what are a few important or interesting facts that you can mention then that you might have discovered or about the film then?
1: Mm. Well, the science is working. What you see in the film is science on an on ramp, on ramp onto the freeway. You see, I'm from LA. Everything is about a freeway, (laughs) but you, you see the beginnings of something that is going to work
0: mm-hmm. and is
1: working. And um, I learned some really profound lessons about science and clinical trials. I learned that the people who sacrifice their time and even sometimes their health to be in a clinical trial
0: yeah.
1: um, should be heroes. We should revere them just like we yeah. did in, you know during the COVID, which we're still in the pandemic. But, you know, how many Thousands and tens of thousands of people participated in that COVID trial and had an unknown uh, liquid injected into their arm that could could be a placebo, could be the vaccine. No one knew, but they did it for us. Yeah. And we're here, you know, living a somewhat normal life because of them. So in this clinical trial, I followed two patients and I saw, we all see what they go through, multiple surgeries, yeah. anesthesia. Um, the emotional psychological roller coaster of being in an experimental study so i learned that we need to honor not only the science that researchers are working on often tirelessly and anonymously in these mm-hmm. labs yeah. but we need to really honor and respect those who go into the clinical trial yeah
0: yeah no i uh no i agree because obviously you know they they're putting their lives you know at stake and they're, they're the ones that are going through it, all, of course. And you know, like you said, they're the people that are moving forward and stepping forward to say, I'm going to you know, be the person that is going to help this. And you're right. They're putting something or they're being operated on things that aren't necessarily, you know, definitely going to work. So
1: it's a, that's a brave, very brave thing to do. Exactly. And, you know, some clinical trials, you just test a pill for a headache. Yeah. Right. I still respect people who do that.
0: Yes. <laughs> no. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously I just wanted to ask you were saying obviously before that type 1 diabetes is uh, debilitating and you've explained kind of in a few different ways how it took your life into different, you know, paths that you necessarily, you know, weren't expecting, but how do you, how how is it debilitating to somebody that doesn't necessarily know?
1: Just to survive every day, I make a hundred and eighty decisions. I may not even be aware of them. some I'm very aware of, mm-hmm. like this morning with my hypoglycemic episode before this podcast. Mm-hmm. Some I just you know organically have manifested themselves in my psyche mm-hmm. um the mental and physical toll of minute by minute looking after this disease. Is exhausting. Yeah, expensive. Doesn't matter that I'm in the U.S. Mm-hmm. The NHS—it's expensive to all the taxpayers in Britain. Um, it is debilitating in the short term because my hypoglycemia, my hy- my attack, as I call it, or just episode—if mm-hmm. um, I hadn't treated it, it can lead to um, unconsciousness. even death. We don't want to get there, but people do. Mm -hmm. People do die from the low blood sugars and they often pass away in the night. It's Mm -hmm. called dead in bed syndrome. Then the long-term complications of this disease, uh, kidney failure, blindness, amputation. um, We are five times as likely to have a heart attack, a stroke, five times as likely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alzheimer's. We're living longer so they can find out what's going on. So they now know there's a connection with diabetes and Alzheimer's. And in some circles, they call it type three diabetes is Alzheimer's. I don't want to. This is so interesting when I talk about the debilitation of this disease. Mm -hmm. And I know, you you know, your viewers might write in and say, oh, my kid just ran the marathon. And, you know, and good for them. And and stay healthy and stay positive. At the same time. It behooves us, those who live with this disease, to be honest, because no one's going to cure a disease that looks so healthy and manageable. And remember, who is giving us that information and that messaging? It's normally big pharma that's selling us products, Yeah. right? Put on this and (laughs) you can climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Put on this and you can play professional soccer. Uh huh. <laughs> like talk to the hand, talk to the hand. <laughs> Cause that is absurd. And most people can't afford these devices. Yeah. And those of us who can afford the devices and good medical care don't even reach the standard we're supposed to. Only 20% of people with all of the gadgets I wear achieved a normal blood sugar. In 2019, only 20%. What does that tell you? That tells you that it's not okay. Yeah. Things are not okay right now. Yeah. And I'm fine about saying it. You know, I was that person in when I was newly diagnosed. I ran a 10K in Barcelona. I won the 10K. You know, I was like, (laughs) I can do this. For the first five years, maybe you can skate by. But it gets super hard. And I'm sorry, I'm going to say that. I have nothing to lose by saying that the diabetes community is a vociferous one. So I'm just putting it out there that you you may get emails saying, Lisa's so pessimistic. I'm just, I'm just telling the truth.
0: Yeah. But I think it's not, it's not being pessimistic. I think it's people like you and obviously what you you're doing and the film that you've created. It it's showing people that don't actually know what's really going on with someone that has type one diabetes. Cause I don't think a lot of people, unless you know someone personally or you obviously have it yourself, I don't think a lot of people know at all. I, I, I personally don't. And I think with what you're doing, you are helping more people understand it and, and be more aware of it because you're right. It's not something that you can always physically see. So when people know actually what's going on inside, I think it can, it does, you know, it can make people's brains and, 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 and ideas and, and thoughts about it change. Um, so what you're doing is amazing. Um, and I don't, like I said, I don't think it's pessimistic at all because you're saying, I guess, the truth and how you, you know, how you've lived with it and how you've dealt with it. And, you know, your story might be different to someone else's, but you know this is your story and this is who you are. So.
1: This is who I am. And uh, since releasing the film in June last year, I have had thousands of emails and messages that say, thank you for showing what it's really like. When yeah. we show it to an audience in a theater, you know, I can hear the sniffles and I, I see people leaving. This doesn't necessarily fill fill me with joy, but it knows that I'm doing something right. Yeah. You know, because I'm reflecting back an experience that hasn't been reflected back before. Yeah. And people, most people I think are grateful for that. Yeah. And I just want to say something about type 2 diabetes because this is important to me. I think we like, we vilify people who have type 2 diabetes, which is meaning that your body can't absorb insulin well. So Mm -hmm. you take tablets or you go on a diet or you exercise to control your blood sugar and make your beta cells happier and able to, um, you know, manage your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Type 2 diabetes, the long term complications are the same. It's an, and it's an epidemic. The long-term complications of type one and type two diabetes are the same. Mm -hmm. And it is a crappy disease, no matter what, whichever form you have. So I would encourage your listeners not to blame people who have type two diabetes. It's, you know, nobody wants to live with this disease and God bless you. You lose your 40 pounds and you don't have to be on metformin. Good. That's really good. You owned that. Good for you. But Mm -hmm. for those who don't have maybe the resources for the really healthy food, like in the U S don't blame them because they're going to end up having an amputation in the Mm -hmm. hospital. I won't rattle off stats, but they're bad. And just like we, we don't, you know what I think? I think it's like people who get lung cancer and people say, Oh, you're a smoker. You deserved it. When at that point, maybe it had nothing to do with smoking, but we need to be, more accepting just a little more empathetic yeah we'll all be better for it (laughs) yeah
0: no absolutely i I think that's the thing is you're right it's it's however you live your life and whatever unfortunately you know may or may not happen yeah it's, it's just because someone gets xyz don't then say well you did xyz to make it happen Um, So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it is, it's just being more accepting and, you know, people live their lives how they want to live their life. Um, Some people want to change things and can't for whatever reason, they actually can't Um, physically, mentally, emotionally, how they can't. And so that's when I think it, you're right. You have to just accept, you know, people for who they are and what they're going through, because it's not an easy ride, especially for not everyone out
1: there. Absolutely. You just encapsulated it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, and I obviously just wanted to also say then, you know, mentally, I can obviously see how this took a, you know, how this was for you. But, you know, in your own words, how, you know, how has it been with everything, especially from, you know,
1: like the last 30 years? Hmm. Toughy, tough question. I, I, I think right now, today, and I, I can answer you in present tense. Yeah. Pretty good. You know, film released. Um, we were at one point a contender for an Oscar on the long list. The long list. I so we didn't, still the list. <laughs> still <laughs> the list. So we didn't get to the, you know, the 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 five that were chosen eventually. But it's a good place to be. Yeah. And um, I guess more importantly than just sort of that validation is the fact that we are showing it at the United Nations. We're gonna mm-hmm. s- the film, we're speaking to the International Diabetes Federation and working with the WHO that just mm-hmm. started a new division just on diabetes. Because remember, this is a global health crisis <laughs> not to be taken, you know, as a benign disease. Um, hopefully we're showing it on Parliament Hill uh, in Canada to mm-hmm. be part of their diabetes initiative and Capitol Hill, in the US, which makes me very excited because my goal as a filmmaker was always to change legislation. If Mm -hmm. I can make a film that makes laws change, then I will have a lasting impact. And that really, you know, excites me, inspires me. And, you know, I hope in a year's time, I can say this is where we were shown and this is what we've accomplished with this film.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And I love that. I love that. So if you had then also one piece of advice, well, not one piece, but if you had advice for somebody then that has got type one diabetes and maybe they, you know, they're in that stage where you were, where they thought I can do this and they're realizing maybe it's a little bit harder than they first anticipated and they're scared. They're scared. What would you say to them?
1: I would say it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be honest. And I would, uh, join a support group. Um, I would see a therapist. I would, you know, maybe I'm American. We all see therapists, but I think, I think everybody frankly needs a therapist at one point in their life. Mm -hmm. And I think someone who deals with chronic disease like this, Mm -hmm. um, someone, a therapist who understands that can help you tremendously and can help you find a degree of peace and less fear and whether that fear is failure of not controlling it mm-hmm. or whether that is just fear of dying mm-hmm. it's okay and and reach out there are a lot of great people and organizations that want to help you yeah. you don't you don't have to go at it alone
0: yeah and i think that's uh that's like a generic message also i think for everybody whatever they're going through is you don't have to go through it alone um you know your either your support network or even if it's not the people that are surrounding you maybe if it is people online or people very far away but you don't have to go through whatever it is that you're going through alone and I think it's a really important message like you just said to to let people understand that and and just to know that um because I think like you know when you are going through whatever it is it's one of the loneliest experiences ever But there are people that are willing with an open with open arms and an offering hand to help, even if it's just to help you over that ladder that day. It's you know, and I think people underestimate that a lot.
1: It's a very good point. And I think nowadays we have social media, for better or for worse. But the the best part of it is the support groups that, as you say, are around the world. If you're feeling badly, you can find someone in a time zone that's still awake. <laughs> who, can, who can help you? And there are some fantastic <laughs> diabetes groups. Just search type one diabetes and and figure out what type of support group online in social media yeah. sort of reflects you mm-hmm. and 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 what you want out of life. There are so many, and you will find someone who relates to you and can help.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: So, where can people watch the film? So this is very exciting. We've been released globally. Mm -hmm. So you can watch it in the UK on Prime, Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's probably the easiest place. And then uh, on our website, we have um, a watch tab, thehumantrial.com forward slash watch. And it will tell you what platforms are available in your country.
0: Perfect. Amazing. Is there anything else that you'd like to share today then?
1: I think that's great. I, I really appreciate what you do. And I hope you, you know, have a loyal following and it keeps getting bigger because your messaging is really important.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. And I've loved hearing, I mean, I've loved hearing your whole story. And I love hearing how how something you've been through and obviously is still going through, but how what's happened has then made you, you know, and then you've combined your career as well into then producing this amazing film so I think that's
1: amazing (laughs) thank you wait where's my thing she persisted
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly I think that's but that's a really important message as well is to to just persist in whatever life throws at you to -hmm. just keep persisting because you will get there and you know what you won't even get there you'll get greater and
1: beyond yes I agree one (laughs) thousand percent well perfect thank you very much thank you Talia
0: Thank you for joining me, Lisa. So this week, understand what motivates you. It might be different to those around you, but what keeps you persisting? Thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you next time.